Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Exodus 4:27 through 5:22. The Lord said to Aaron, "Go into the wilderness to meet Moses." So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in, in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said unto them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather for themselves. But the number of the bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose upon them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to their lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourself, wherever you find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task, each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your tasks of making brick today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now. Work. No straw will be given you. But you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, ye shall no 
ye shall by no means reduce the number of bricks, your daily task, each day. They met Moses and Aaron as they were waiting for them, as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. So glad you're here today. Thanks for coming to the Lord's house, and hopefully you've got your Bibles open to Exodus 4. Today I have on my heart um, a number of you, I don't know your name, but I've prayed for you, who today come to the Lord's house, and you need hope because you're in the middle of a long, weary journey. And today I just want you to know that I believe in Exodus chapter 4, latter part and verse 5, I think God has a word for you from the Word of God about what it means to take the long view. As we go into the text today, I just want you to pray with me that God, if that's where you're at, would speak to you and give you the needed grace to help you take the long view in regards to the challenge that you're in. So let's pray. Father, today we need your word. For the last number of days we have been absent from one another. And we need to be gathered as your people to sing, to hear your word, to pray, and to receive the inspired text of the scriptures. We need for you to encourage our hearts today. I pray for some of my brothers and sisters today. I can only imagine the number in this gathering today or or who will hear this message later who today need to hear a word right from your heart about endurance and patience, and faithfulness. And so I pray today that you'd speak to them, Lord. I pray that you'd use this text and the things that you've put on my heart to embolden them and strengthen them and encourage them to continue to endure all the way to the end. So we look forward to what you're going to do today in our midst, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we resume our chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Exodus, the study that we paused for about three weeks to talk about global missions and uh, what God, what's on God's heart for the nations. And today we come back to this study in Exodus to remind you where we've been so far. We saw that Israel was in bondage in Egypt. We learned that Moses was born into this difficult situation. He was hidden put in the river Nile, discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, adopted into the household of Pharaoh, was educated in the ways of the Egyptians, began to identify with his own people, and then attempted to kind of take the the, the role of their Messiah himself, killed an Egyptian, had to flee the country, find him in Midian, just tending sheep, when he encounters a burning bush. God shows up, tells Moses, what his name is, that he is Yahweh, the I Am, and tells Moses that he's going to pull his people out of Egypt. They are his people, and he will no longer have them in bondage, and is in the process of sending Moses back to Egypt to pull his people out. That's what we've looked at so far. All under the the banner of this title of our series called, The God Who Hears. You see, 
The book of Exodus really isn't about Israel. It's not even about Moses. The book of Exodus is about God. It's about what God is doing. It's about the self-disclosure of God as He uses Israel and He uses Moses to tell the world about Himself. Our text this morning is really the first steps of Moses embracing this new call that God has put upon him as he begins to make his journey back to Egypt and as he begins to deliver the message of God. And what you're going to see in this text today is a very candid portrayal of those early days of ministry that frankly didn't go so well for Moses. And the central thing that I want you to see is this, that when you're following the Lord Jesus, when you're a follower of His, when you feel like you've got a mission from God... Things don't usually go smoothly, right? I mean, that can be as simple as you have a Christian marriage. That's great. But you're both innately selfish. And marriage tends to bring that out. It doesn't always go smoothly. You have great little children that God blesses you with, only to find out that they're horribly evil, right? (laughs) And it doesn't go so smoothly, you're a single adult and you're trying to find your way in life, got an idea about what you're going to do with your singleness, and it doesn't go so smoothly. You come into retirement, you thought this is what life would be like, and you found it, and you're like, look, this isn't as smooth as what I thought. So the bullet for today, the main thing we're going to talk about is this, that the faithful followers of Jesus need to take the long view. In any area of your life, if you're a faithful follower of God, if you're a follower of Jesus, we talk about igniting a passion to follow Jesus. That is a lifetime commitment, a long-term view. And my prayer for some of you who are in a really tough spot today is I just want to try and raise your head up a little bit and give you a view that's longer than just what you've been doing and been involved in in the last few days, few weeks, few months, few years, and remind you what the long view is all about. Now we're going to see this today, first by looking at Moses' life, these first early days. We're going to see five stages of his early days of ministry. And then we're going to link this to some pastoral thoughts about how do you take the long view in light of what Moses says. And I hope that these are really helpful, that you leave today with a bigger understanding of God's purposes, hope in your heart, and a sense, you know what, God helping us, we can take the long view. So there are five stages of Moses' first ministry that we're introduced to in chapter 5, really beginning in chapter 4. And it's, it's really courageous that Moses gives us this particular section of Scripture because, after all, uh, this is not a raving success story in chapter 5. In fact, he's setting it up for what's to come in future days. But the early days of his ministry begins with a level of excitement, And we see this begin in chapter 4 and verse 27. Look at it. Remember, God has just called Moses. Moses is on his way back to Egypt from Midian. And at the same time, the Lord has not only issued a call to Moses, we learn now that he has issued a call to Aaron. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So the idea is that God has called Moses, he's called Aaron, and the two of them are going to meet and guess where they meet they meet at the mountain of god which is mount sinai and we see this this really exciting movement of god where he's placed a call on on moses's life he's placed a call on aaron's life and they meet verse 28 tells us that moses told aaron all the words of the lord 
with which he had sent him to speak. So he recounts to, to Aaron what has happened, the burning bush, the, the, the Yahweh name of God, the promise that God is going to deliver his people. And he also tells him about the signs that he had um, commanded him to do. A part of me wonders if Moses showed him. He's like, check this out. Threw the snake down, threw the staff down and become a snake. Watch this. Puts his hand in his coat. He's like, leprosy, check it out, right? Scary. Puts it back in. Takes the, the jar and turns the, the water into, into blood. This must have been quite a moment. They must have compared notes about God's calling in their lives. And there, there must have been a sense of real significance in the fact that they're meeting at the mountain of God. It must have been obvious that God was up to something and they were being called to a very special task. There was clearly a divinely appointed meeting of these two men. God was up to something and they were a part of it. And I'm telling you, when this happens, it is really exciting. God's doing something and we get to be on the front seat. He's doing this in your life. He's doing this in, in my life. And here we are. It gets even better. They traveled to Egypt and remember all of Moses' concerns. He was worried that the people of Israel, the elders in particular, wouldn't listen to him. And verse 29, it says, Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. So Aaron did the signs. Verse 31, And the people believed. I mean, Moses had said to God, they're not going to believe me. Who shall I say sent me? And here they go. They proclaimed to the elders of Israel, and they believed. And when they had heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. This is a moment, isn't it? Moses tells them, look, I showed up at the burning bush and God said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cry. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them. And when he tells, when Moses and Aaron tell the elders of Israel this story, they are thrilled, they believe, they fall on their face, and they begin to worship. This, friends, is what you might call a ministry honeymoon. This is when everything is just going great. They deliver the news. The people responded positively. They, they not only listened to Moses and Aaron, they actually worshiped the Lord in the midst of all of this. None of Moses' fears had materialized. Instead, the elders are on board. The people believe them. God is on the move. People are on board, and things are exciting. This is a glorious season of ministry. You ever been in this kind of situation? You know, it's common early in a person's walk with Christ at a personal level to have this happen. You have all this wonderful growth that's taking place. You're so excited. You're telling people about it. You're just thrilled with the change that you're seeing in your life. Maybe you, you got a chance to lead your first person to Christ and you can't believe that you get to be on the front lines and you saw somebody literally move from darkness to light. Maybe in, a, in, in your first counseling session you saw somebody the first person you're working with, and you took the Word of God, and they embraced it, and they believed it, and they really changed, and they left the meeting, and you left the meeting going, man, there's nothing better than being a part of God's work. Maybe you're leading a small group. That group comes together, and there's just a sense of community and love and oneness, and you all leave singing Kumbaya. It's beautiful, if not cheesy, right? So what happens? In those initial moments of God's work, you, 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 you sense His favor, you sense His hand. And I think, I can see this in my own life, that God is often very gracious to us when we are young in the faith. 
And he gives us early successes, early wins, so to speak, in order to encourage us in our relationship with him. And it's an exciting season. Strong faith that's going on inside of your soul. You you feel like God's not only empowering you, but that, frankly, the world could be taken by storm. There's something really wonderful about those early days. But I have news for you. It is only a matter of time until challenges come. So if you've not experienced challenges, you just haven't lived long enough. They will come. And we see them come in Moses' life. The second season, second stage, if you will, is that of confrontation where there's a collision. Moses is going to go and deliver God's word to Pharaoh. And we're going to see this collision of confrontation that takes place. You know, God's message to the world is always countercultural. And so it's only a matter of time until there is some level of conflict, some level of confrontation that takes place. Now, I'm not suggesting that you be overly confrontational, but I am suggesting to you that if the gospel is light in the midst of darkness, if we are to be a light set on a hill, if darkness doesn't like the light, then we ought to expect that there are moments that are going to come of conflict and confrontation. And so we see this in chapter 5. Look at verse 1. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord. This becomes a motif for future prophetic words. Thus says the Lord. Moses and Aaron are there. They are delivering a message from the Creator God. Thus says the Lord, the Lord Yahweh, the, the one who is beyond all gods of Egypt. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. This will become a prevailing theme throughout the early chapters of Exodus. God says, they're my people, you have them, I want them, let them go. As you'll see later on in the book, this becomes a familiar conflict between God and Pharaoh. And then it says that they may hold a feast to me. This is a modest way of asking for a full and permanent departure. Everybody, including Pharaoh, knows what Moses and Aaron are asking for. Now, Pharaoh's response is telling. It's familiar, it's loaded, and he is defiant. Look what he says in verse 2. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. So the stage is set. Notice that Pharaoh summarily rejects the request, and he does so with a mocking tone. Who's the Lord? Who is this God? Who is he? He's nothing. I don't know him. I'm not going to obey him. And this would be the first of many refusals on Pharaoh's part. So Moses and Aaron respond with another request. Comes in verse 3. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence and with the sword. In other words, Pharaoh, listen, Please let us go, because if if you don't, bad things are going to happen. Judgment is going to come. So we have this confrontation. Now, I just want to take a step back from this text in Exodus 5 for a moment and realize the importance of what just happened, because it's very instructive. Moses and Aaron just delivered a message from God to Pharaoh, and that message was the truth. God had said, let my people go. But that truth wasn't received or embraced by Pharaoh. Why? Well, it's pretty simple. Because Pharaoh does not want to submit and obey God. In fact, this is one of the defining 
lessons in the book of Exodus, and for that matter, the entire Bible, and that is this, that God is God, and He must be obeyed. And as we see throughout the book of Exodus, the, the, the ten plagues that will come, it will be a defining statement to Pharaoh and Egypt, and really for the rest of the watching world, that, that God is holy and sovereign, and what He says must be be obeyed. That's why when Israel is brought out and they're brought to Mount Sinai, what does God give them? He gives them the law, the definition of what God requires in terms of obedience. And what you need to understand is that Pharaoh is not any different than any of us. So before you look at Pharaoh and you go, I mean, why won't you obey God? Just think, why don't you and I obey God? See, the reality is there's a little aspect of, in fact, maybe a bigger aspect of Pharaoh in all of our hearts. And so when you read Exodus, you ought to really see yourself. I see myself. So this year, this fall, I've started um, a new thing. I'm helping to assist as a coach with our um, twin boys in their, their basketball. And this is a new experience for me coaching and it's creating um, new issues that are being revealed in my soul. Uh, for instance, uh, just last night, uh, we had a, had a game, and um, I'm the third assistant coach, so I know what my role is. I shouldn't say a whole lot. And, However, um, one of my boys had a great drive down the baseline, and the defender. So the other thing, too, is in high school, or just out of, not in high school, out of college, I refed for about four or five years. So I know a good call when I see one, okay? So just so you know. So he makes a great dive down the baseline, and a guy, seriously, just sticks out his knee. The ball you know, goes off his knee, and the ref clearly missed a, a very easy block, you know, knee, knee, knee call. It should have been called. So I stood up. I didn't say a thing, but as the ref looks over at me, I went, you know, <laughs> like that. Pretty clear, right, what I wanted. Well, the ref looked at me and said, sit down. And I looked at him, and for about three milliseconds, my heart said, I'm not sitting down. I don't care what you have with your whistle, your stripes. I'm not, I'm, what are you going to do? And I'm sitting, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, so I, and he, he pointed me again. I was like, all right, so I sat down, right? <laughs> what is that? It's the same thing that's in you that's in me, right? This, this, this latent desire to say, who is the Lord that I should obey him? This, by the way, parents, this is what is going on in your home when that little bundle of joy suddenly becomes this ugly creature. You're like, where did this kid come from? The earth, you, sin, all those, that little beautiful child could be guilty of the worst possible sins, just like you can. In fact, the reality is when your child obeys, you ought to be like, oh my goodness, right? Because there's been a miraculous transformation. So when, when you look at the book of Exodus, you need to see Pharaoh not as some lame-brained idiot who simply just needs to learn how to obey God. You need to see this as, you know what, this is the essence of the confrontation between good and evil, between light and darkness, the battle that still even rages within my own soul. So there's an aspect of confrontation that takes place. Then things get even more difficult. There is a cost. Things become increasingly more difficult. In Exodus 5, we learn that Pharaoh, like any tyrant, concludes that the best way to get people refocused is to use a show of force or group punishment. 
This will put a lot of pressure on Moses and Aaron and the elders. And so a solution was to take away their provision of straw. Look at verse 4. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many. You make them rest from their burdens. And the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and the foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they say, let us go and sacrifice to our God. And so this decree is then passed along to um, the Egyptian taskmasters and then to the Israelite foremen. And the people now have to go and try and gather straw. And when they can't find straw, they begin to use stubble, which are the little leftover pieces of the harvest. And trying to put them together to make the bricks not only makes things more difficult, but it makes it virtually impossible for them to be able to keep their daily quota of brick building. And when they don't hit their quota, according to verse 14, they're beaten. So Moses and Aaron now run into a pretty difficult scenario that now what's happened is Pharaoh's decree has caused a widespread injustice and made obedience to Pharaoh virtually impossible. And since Pharaoh is the the highest authority in the land, any further appeal to Pharaoh would be pointless and useless. So the reality is the situation that they're in is relatively hopeless and unchangeable. And as a result, look at verse 19. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble. In trouble. Man, how fast things can change. I mean, it was just 19 verses ago. The people were saying, yes, the Lord is on our side. They're bowing and worship and they're believing. And now suddenly, just like that, they're in a very difficult spot. Life had become very, very hard. And then as often happens, there is now direct and personal opposition. Notice how personal it becomes. Verse 20, as the the foremen are coming out from their meeting with Pharaoh, apparently Moses and Aaron are around the, the court of Pharaoh somewhere waiting to hear what is taking place. In verse 20, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Notice the accusations. It says the Lord judge you guys. In other words, you're not on God's plan. Number two, Moses and Aaron, you're to blame for Pharaoh's disposition towards us. And third, things are going to get even worse. You put a sword in their hand to kill us. In other words, the foremen say to Moses and Aaron, you're wrong. You must have misheard God's voice. This is your fault. And third, things are getting incredibly worse. Now, if you get involved in the lives of people in the context of ministry at any level, whether it's as a parent, as a friend, as a counselor, or as a one-on-one discipler, you need to be prepared for these three statements. You're wrong, this is your fault, and it's getting worse. Fear and disappointment in the face of unfavorable effects often sounds like this as it comes out of people's mouths. And you know why? Because fear and disappointment are very strong emotions, and typically they need somebody to blame And even though it isn't rational, or even though it isn't fair, the fact is that there is a real longing to say, look, 
this situation is going south and it's your fault. Even though Pharaoh is the issue. Even though Pharaoh's disobedience is what really is causing all of this, they, they point the fingers directly towards Moses and Aaron. So just mark this down somewhere. While, while you w- must always be humble and you must always evaluate what areas of improvement and growth you need, just be aware that when things get difficult, people are often very quick to find someone to blame, and it's usually the person who's spoken God's Word to them, and it becomes, it can become very personal. So just be prepared for those moments. Don't, those moments, don't completely disregard what people say. Ah, there's a bunch of spiritually immature people. Don't just disregard them. At the same time, don't take it overly personal. And then notice what happens to Moses. Moses gets very discouraged. Our text ends here with what I believe to be really the main point of this passage. And it seems that Moses includes this story about his early struggles in order to make a much larger point throughout the book of Exodus about God's deliverance of his people and specifically about God's ability to keep his promises even though at the time it didn't look like he was. Remember the main point of the sermon today? It's this, that faithful followers need to take the long view. Well, notice how that's not Moses' perspective. Look at chapter 5, verse 22. I have the text here for you behind me. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever said that? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Aren't you glad things are like this in the Bible? Aren't you, God, aren't you glad that God is patient with us when we say things like this? You ought to be glad I'm not God. And Moses says this to me, next verse, and a bolt of lightning struck Moses and he was no more. That's how my Bible would read. Next up, right? I'm so thankful that this is in the Bible because honestly, I've, I've said things like that to God. And I'm grateful He's kind and merciful. You know what the reality is? God knows these things are going on in our soul anyways. Some of you might not be very comfortable with this kind of conversation with God. You might not uh, be aware that things like Psalm 13, how long will you forget me, O Lord? How long will you hide your face from me forever? Are in the Bible. But they are. And there's a difference, and I think there's a difference between this and some sort of angry cursing of God like Job's wife was advocating. This is the honest struggle of a man who says, you know what, God, you put this calling on my heart. You've sent me. I'm doing what you want me to do. And it's, it's not going well. It's, it's an honest assessment of, Lord, this is really, really hard. And you know what's hopeful about that? That's hopeful for a mom or a dad who says, you know what, all we wanted were just children who would be raised. All we wanted, God, was the Waltons. That's all we wanted, right? (laughs) And here we are, and it looks like we're in a battle for our lives. You haven't kept your promises at all. Looks like a guy who's looking for a job. says, Lord, I I know you told me you provide, but I'm looking to the end of the month, and I'm not seeing how it's going to work out. I don't know if your promises are really true. A couple who starts off in a marriage, they just want to obey God and follow God in obedience to His Word. They're trying to do things in a, in a biblical way and resolve conflict, and it just feels like things are getting worse and worse and worse. And somewhere in your mind and heart, you begin to wonder, are God's promises really true? 
Is He really going to fulfill His calling in our lives? Or have we, have we just completely believed the lie? Moses pours his heart out to God. He says a number of things. He says, God, you're allowing evil things to happen to His people. I don't understand why you're not stopping this. He, he struggles with his call. He says, Lord, it seems as though my call is, is, is pointless and fruitless. You ever said that? Everything he tries with Pharaoh seems to make things worse, and there doesn't seem to be any promised deliverance. I, I can only imagine how many of us can relate to this. How many times have you said in your life, God, why don't you stop this? Or, Lord, nothing is working. Or, Every time I try and do anything or say anything, it just gets worse. Or, you know, God, your promises, they are not working. As I think back on my own walk with Jesus, I can think of times when I've said this in regards to my own walk with Christ. I've said this in regards to my marriage. I've said this in regards to the raising of kids. I've said this in counseling scenarios. I've said this in regards to leading a church ministry and in preaching. God, I don't understand because it doesn't seem like it's working. Moses could look back on the circumstances of his life and it looks like from one perspective everything's falling apart. The burning bush, the early days, those seem like they are a million years away. And the part of the problem is that Moses is no longer taking the long view. Now next week we'll jump into chapter 6, but just look at chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 because it's, it's so beautiful. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Oh, by the way, Moses, this is actually about Pharaoh and me, not just about you. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And I love this. Verse 2, God spoke to Moses and said to him, It's all going to be okay. God spoke to Moses and said, it's all going to work out. God spoke to Moses and said, let me explain to you what I'm doing. What does it say? And God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. Again, back to Job. Back to so many contexts or, or verses in the context of the Bible where God answers people's pain by simply saying, I am the Lord and there is no other. Moses needed to be reminded that God was still at work. His promises were still sure. God is still Yahweh. He is still the I Am. And Moses needed to take the long view and bask in the beauty of who God is. That's what I'm hoping will happen for some of you today. That you'll just, that you'll, you'll reconnect again with the long view. Because we're going to get to the point where Israel is delivered. We're going to get to the point where Moses is a part of God's unbelievable activity. But the reality is in this season and in this moment and in this particular juncture, this is hard. And Moses feels like God is not doing what he should do. So that then leads us to the question, so how do we take the long view? When, when you think of Exodus 5 and Moses' life and the entry into ministry at any level, whether it's just a, a, the care of your own soul or whether it is trying to spiritually lead somebody else, how do you, how do you take the long view? Let me give you just five things quickly. Number one is this. Listen, College Park, we need to preach the gospel to our soul. What do I mean by that? The good news of the Bible is this, that Jesus died for sinners. He was buried and was raised the third day. 
that story of those who receive Christ as their Savior being forgiven of their sins, that story has an embedded problem in it. In that, Jesus dies on the cross, and for three days it appears as though God's plan has absolutely failed. And the reason that you preach the gospel to yourself is to be reminded that God is in the business of changing everything and doing it in ways that wow the world. He is in the business of taking Jesus, who hangs on the cross and then is in the tomb. And if you're a disciple, in that moment, you look and you think, everything we've done is a complete failure. And then the empty tomb changes everything. And what you need to remind yourself in moments of despair and difficulty is of the central message of the gospel, that God is in the business of redeeming lost sinners, and even though it seems as though things are in the tank, God can still take beauty from ashes. This is the gospel, and you need to preach the gospel to your own soul. When you don't have any other promises to cling to, you cling to this promise, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am chief. Number two, be wise about the highs and the lows. You know, one of the lessons that I have learned with time and um, old age is the value of not getting overly emotional about mountaintop experiences or valleys. To, To love the highs, but don't be addicted by them. And to know you're in the low, but don't be overly discouraged. I love that Paul said this to Timothy. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Or as the NRSV says, be persistent whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. You know, on a personal level, I've seen the beauty of ministry when it is powerful, when it's life-changing, and when it's like viral. You just can't even get ahead of it. And I've also been a part of seasons of ministry of opposition, of dryness, and utter ineffectiveness. And I think it's important to keep in mind to not be overly addicted to the highs. When things are going really well, just remember it's not going to be like this forever. And when things are going low, just remember it's not going to be like this forever. Allow the sovereignty of God to settle you, to calm you, and to stabilize you. This is a message that my wife has often preached to me on Sunday evenings. Mm-hmm. Don't get too... High in the highs, don't get too low in the lows. And in regards to the low of the lows, it's amazing how your perspective changes with just seven hours of God-ordained sleep. (laughs) Be wise about the highs and the lows. Number three, mine the Scriptures for hope. The Bible is filled with numerous accounts of God working in ways that are unseen at the time. Take, for instance, Hebrews chapter 11. Gives us examples of people like Abel and Enoch and Abraham and Sarah, Jacob and Joseph, Moses and Joshua. They all learned to live by faith. And in Moses' case, the Scripture says that he learned to endure as seeing him who is invisible. writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance... The race that is set before us. It is to be reminded that God's promises are sure and that we are to discover and to dig out those promises. This means that when you spend time in God's Word, 
you need to approach it as I've got to find his promises. When we were doing the scripture reading today, did you notice Brandy's Bible? I almost laughed when she picked it up to read it. Did you see this thing? I mean, this, this Bible is a mess. There's, there's marks all over. It's about ready to fall apart. There's all sorts of tape on it and everything else. And you know what? This is a Bible that appears to me to be mined. An old adage goes something like this. If your Bible is falling apart, typically your life isn't. Now, that doesn't mean that every good Bible up here represents a bad person's life, right? So I'm, just, I'm not saying that, right? You know, Eric's got a pretty nice one up here. That's, not, that's what I'm saying. What I am saying is that you mind the Scriptures. Get after the Scriptures. Approach your time in the Word, not, hey, I need to read God's Word today. You need to approach it as this. This is God's Word for me. I need to hear from you and get after it. Find this Word and get it in the very fiber of your being because without it, you will not have hope. Take the Scripture reading and don't read it like a book. Read it like what it is. It is your life. It is food. It is the thing which helps to remind your soul what is true life really all about. Fourth, embrace dependency on God. One of the beautiful things about the story of Exodus 5 is the lesson of dependency. Moses has to learn Lesson 101 when it comes to being a follower of God. And that is, you can't do it by yourself. What did Jesus say in in, in John chapter 15? He said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Taking the long view means that you embrace the mantra of God, I can't do this without your help. And so you can look at circumstances or challenges that come into your life and you're like, sweet, this is going to teach me how to depend on the Lord. And you need to anticipate that life is going to be difficult. So one of the lessons, you know, we we had our first house, had lots of renovation projects, and I used to think, well, I'll get this little renovation thing done in an hour. It's going to cost me this amount of money. Now I just quadruple it in terms of time, money, and ex- all, all of those things. So when I approach a product, it's going to cost me four times the amount of money that I expect. And it's going to take me four times as long as I think. And it's going to be eight times harder than what I can possibly imagine. And that's because life and experience has proven this to be true. And so I approach it with that anticipation, realizing that I probably can't do this. So if I do, I'm going to be really happy. The problem is, is that many of us don't approach our spiritual life like that. We think, ah, child rearing, I got it. No, you don't. <laughs> Marriage, I got it. No, no, you don't. My job, my career, no, you don't. The faster you can come to terms with this reality, I cannot do this on my own. This is going to be exceptionally more difficult than I could ever possibly imagine. That's the very message from the heart of God that, he has lessons for us to learn that are incredibly important, but they're only learned when we come face-to-face with our own inadequacy. We cannot do this on our own. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. What a great statement. And then the final thing is this. That we live with the promised future in mind. So why does the Bible tell us what happens at the end of the days? 
Why does the Bible tell us what takes place? Why does, he, why does the Bible talk about Satan's defeat and future judgment and the reign of Jesus? The reason is, is so that you and I can connect our present circumstances with the future reality of what's going to come. So that we can live godly lives now in light of the ultimate victory that is going to come in Christ. That you can literally have what's going to have hap, happen in the end of days to transform what comes out of your mouth today. Let me show you this. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Peter says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example in that you might follow, or so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And notice this. Oh, hear this. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Why? He continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. So you don't have to revile when you're reviled. You don't have to threaten when you're suffering. Why? Because at the end of the days, there is a just one who's going to judge justly. Therefore, you are free. So be godly and don't revile and don't threaten and live under the hard press of circumstances in a way that takes the long view. You see? Faithful followers of Jesus take the long view. So, listen, I don't know where you are today. I can only imagine there are some of you today who are in the midst of very, very dark and challenging seasons. You may be wondering, and where in the world are the promises of God? You may be wondering, why is my life like this right now? You may be wondering, why, why am I being personally attacked? You may wonder, I don't, I don't know how long I can endure this challenge. And the message of hope from Exodus 5 is that you need to take the long view. You need to see life through the lens of the Gospel and through the lens of the Scriptures that call us to see not life in the middle of just little circumstances, but instead to take the long view and say, God, even though I don't know what you are doing, I know that you are the Lord. And in so doing, you'll find endurance and faith, not once for all, but you'll be able to fight in a way that will make you a faithful follower of Jesus for the long haul. Father, I pray that you today would empower my brothers and sisters here today who are in the middle of a long haul today who needed to hear that you, the Lord of all creation, are not only in control of their their life, but you are orchestrating all of the events in order to fulfill a plan that we know nothing about. So thank you that we can be dependent. Thank you that we can rely upon you. Thank you that we can do what you've called us to do and to take the long view. So I pray for a long view with people in struggling marriages, a long view with people whose children aren't walking with you, a long view when it comes to the deeply rooted sin issues and counselors who are weary, a long view when it comes with a small group leader who's just tired. And God, I pray that you, by your Spirit, would bring encouragement and hope from your Word 
Do this, Lord, as only you can do. And we pray this in the authoritative name of Jesus, our Savior. In his name, amen. Listen to me, one of, the, one of the best things you can do if you're struggling with this long view is have some people pray for you. And we have folks up here afterwards who they are here to be able to pray for you in your journey. Okay, so use them, let them bless you, help you and encourage you, all right? God bless you, College Park. I love you. Thanks for coming today.